Scott Shelby is the origami killer. Hey everybody, I'm Gavin, and by um, lack of sexy accent in the background, you can tell that Moss is unfortunately not here for this episode of Spoiler Alert. Um, unfortunately, blame the Norwegian mail system. Uh, never did get his copy in a good enough time to record the show, but he's here in memory and he's here in spirit. But Actually, you know what happened is Mots couldn't complete the quick time events and he died earlier in the show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to reveal it. It's kind of a it's kind of a sore issue around the office, but taking his place, we have Randy Asinchak, of course, editor in chief of eldergeek.com. Hi everybody. And Kip, Kip Peter Antonio, regular contributor and all around awesome guy with every aspect of the site. Yay. Hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and in case you couldn't tell, we are t- uh, talking about Heavy Rain in this, is- in this issue, this episode, whatever you want to call it, the interactive movie slash video game slash everything else from Quantic Dream and Sony Computer Entertainment. And I think that's actually the best place to start out this episode is getting from each of our panel this time, what is Heavy Rain to you guys? Um, if someone asked, uh, came up to you complete um, layman in terms of video games in general, what is Heavy Rain? Randy, let's start with you. Uh, um... Heavy Rain to me was, um, I don't know, it was more of a, the interactive movie slash choose-your-own-adventure book from when I was a kid. All right, you know, actually, that's what I'm going to say. It's the adult version of the choose-your-own-adventure books from when you were a kid. Kip, who was eating chips, I think? No, I don't know. not eating chips. Just sitting here. Oh. Okay, cool. <laughs> He's just got a crunchy bed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, what's Heavy Rain, Kip? Uh, you know, I would say it's a game. I mean, it, it. The I think it's a new genre of game that we can call an interactive movie or something, but it was still a game. It still had game elements. I mean, I could still, I still knew what to look for, what to do from playing previous games, and so like, there was definitely game mechanics involved in it. And so I wouldn't go as far as calling it a movie yet, or an interact, or like as far as maybe Randy did with a choose your own scare kind of thing. But, I, you know, I still felt it. It still, it was still based in the game world. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you said previous games. What kind of games do you mean? Because a lot of people around to internets were referring to Heavy Rain, you know, often colloquially, colloquially often diversively, as like a Dragon's Lair 2.0. Do you think that's where it's coming from, or did you mean something different by previous games? No, I, I just, I didn't really mean necessarily, like, I, like, I knew where to look, you know what I mean? Like, when the origami, when the little box, you know, that had all the origami pieces in it, like, I knew that each one was going to be a different adventure. You know what I mean? Like, I knew as I opened them, it was going to tell me where to go, and they were going to get more extreme as I went. And that those are basic game mechanics. Like, if you go back to, like, game theory, like, those are game mechanics that the challenges increase as I go through the thing. You know what I mean? And that's what I mean by previous. It's still a, based in a game, you know? So you're saying it played to Gamer Instinct. Yeah, it played to Gamer Instinct, and it was just, you could tell it was founded on the theory of game. Like, each one of those origami pieces was a level, you know? Yeah. And I got to Absolutely. choose when I got to go to them, and then they increased in difficulty as I went. Absolutely. Okay, so um, let's leap right into the most contentious element of the game, and that is the button press prompts, quick time events, however you refer to them. I don't think there's actual uh, an actual term for them but they are the main element of input for the game. And how do you guys think they were implemented throughout? Um, that means just everything from the flicks of the analog stick to the use of the six-axis. Randy? Um, I, <laughs> to be honest with you, I played it through on normal. And, and I don't know if you guys actually 
tried out the difficulty levels at all on it. I, I tried it out on normal, and then uh, when my wife and I were going to be were playing it together, I had it set on easy for her. And to be honest with you, I liked it better as easy than I did when it was normal, um, just because the the do this motion as slow as you possibly can with your controller thing got a little, I don't know, tiresome. You know, I, I get that you were trying to be ginger, you were trying to be careful, but um, there were certain things that I didn't feel like you needed to be as ginger as as uh, as the game called for, and it would have still had that same dramatic feel to it. Mm-hmm. So as far as the input system goes, I, I was kind of meh about it. I, I really thought that the walking mechanic was broken, but... Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, I, I don't think we can officially call it walking as much as steering. But I think uh, we'll get into that. I mean, that's another aspect of the controls. But I think I want to focus right now on the quick time events and their implementation. And um, not, not just how you push them, but how they showed up in the environment. I mean, did you find them obtrusive? Did you find that they were, uh, they were distracting at all? That kind some, of thing. Sometimes when they were spinning around people's heads, I couldn't read them. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were like, they would blur together, and I would be like, I had to, there was a couple times I had to walk up to my TV and look. You know what I mean? Are you, are you, did you play it on a, I think this is kind of important to know, like, for everybody to hear, were you playing it on, like, a regular TV or a flat screen or, like, I was a, playing on a 1080p t- uh, HDMI connected TV. So, so you were playing on a nice TV then? Yep. Yeah, but I could, was, I could, they were crisscrossing. You know what I mean? I, I think they did. I think that was a mechanic they did intentionally to like oh, yes. kind of make it seem like it was a, a hurried moment. But I, I get what you're saying. Like it was a little too muddled at times. Mm-hmm. Where where I was yeah, like, I can't read which one I want to pick, even out of the spur of the moment. You know? Yeah. There's actually a trophy you had to get for selecting the right ones, and that just made it difficult with the shaking of. Yeah, I mean, some of them. There's a lot of. Um, gameplay mechanics made for the sake of the story that didn't really work when you came back to the gameplay aspect, and uh, we'll get into those. But overall, so like the yeah. quick time events, I, I like even though I have I have some complaints about them, I think they were amazingly done, and I don't think there's any game that would that like the fact that I wanted to get up and go walk up to the TV just so I could pick the right one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that yeah. I don't hate that much. That was cool, and I'll give you a specific moment where where you're in that crazy Jesus freak guys kind of house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know you know the moment where you're shoot you're about to you have to choose whether or not you're going to shoot him. Like as soon as that R one came up, I was like gun, bam, bam. <laughs> oh, did oh well, we'll, like, we'll oh save. I didn't mean to shoot him, and I was totally invested. You know what I mean? And I was I was like, oh, the control it popped up. I didn't know what to do, and I knew exactly how a cop would feel. You know what I mean? In that situation, <laughs> like he pulled the gun. I I didn't I didn't know what to do. That's exactly how I felt. Like the warning sign was there, and I hit it. You know, so I think the, the quick time events were used very, very cool. I, I I agree. I think for the most part they were used very well, especially in the fight slash chase sequences and stuff. But yeah. the one time that I really uh, got mad about it, and I think I think I brought this up in an earlier show or something, or maybe I had a conversation with one of you guys, was when uh, Norman Jaden is facing off with um, who's the guy that works in the in the junkyard? The uh, dog or junk dog? Yeah, mad dog or mad Jack? Okay, mad Jack. Yeah. So he's facing off with him. I didn't realize at the one moment that he would actually go for his tripto. Like he was, like I was just following the buttons that were on screen. I didn't realize that he was going to go for the tripto. I thought he was digging for his handcuffs, and so accidentally I had him take, you know, uh, you know, his his drug, and I didn't want to do that. I was trying so hard to have him fight his addiction through the entire game, 
And I was kind of frustrated with the game after, you know, after that happened to me. Mm. But overall, we had a general sense of well-implementation on the uh, quick-time events, especially when the game picked up and got to the more intense moments. Yeah. And and I'll tell you what, if like when that game was first announced and I was like, it's all quick-time events, I was like, that's going to be a failure. And I, when I played it, I was like, this is fantastic. Like, this is really well done. And there are some moments where it's not so perfect. But, I mean, there was rarely ever a time I didn't know what to do. You know, it came very naturally. So Yeah. Yeah, they were very well implemented. I liked how, they, um, how the graphical design of them allowed them to pop all over the screen, and yet you didn't feel like it was invading your view or anything like that. Yeah. The only problem I had about the QuickTime events was merely their implementation in certain parts of the story. Like, uh, a lot of people have mentioned this in reviews. After you do the incredibly, incredibly long tutorial sequence with Ian, Ethan, sorry, mm, yep. uh, you shouldn't have to be making eggs later in the game. You shouldn't have to be um, doing all these sort of menial tasks with them anymore. The QuickTime events were still well done. It just didn't seem like um, I wanted to go back to that sort of uh, more mellow kind of uh, gameplay with them. I wanted to keep going with the intensity, and I know that was, that's difficult for story-wise, but it just kind of felt um, obligatory to me toward the end. Mm, that's interesting. But um, we got a major point that we wanted to talk about here. Uh, Kit made a special point. He wants to have his little soapbox here that I'm sure we're all going to agree with him. <laughs> There's a specific moment in one of the trials. It's the um, butterfly trial. Anyone that's played the game will know immediately what we're talking about. It's guiding Ethan through the um, what appears to be the... Um, furnace tunnels that are layered with a thin, uh, thick layer of broken glass. So I'm going to give the floor to, uh, to Kip here. <laughs> what bugged you about this? Okay, the first thing is just trying to turn... Okay, the first thing is, like, when you lit the match, the the wind, like, the, the match flame pointed in the direction that the wind was going. Mm-hmm. And that seemed backwards to me. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I was like, oh, where the wind's coming from is where I would want to go. So, like, I was confused by that right off the be- right off the bat. But it didn't really matter, because when I tried to turn, I couldn't. And so I just... <laughs> <laughs> so the match mechanic was worthless anyway? <laughs> yeah, so I ended, up, I ended up going to the options and trying to turn up the sensitivity to, like, the maximum, because I read online that, that that could help fix it, but it really didn't. And there was just no way to turn, and you'd be crawling, and you'd constantly turn around. Mm. Like, I'd be trying to take a left, and I would just turn around to go back the other way. And it was incredibly frustrating. Like, it was just so difficult and not well implemented. And it was like he was so big compared to the tunnel, and just maneuvering that character through that tunnel and, like, figuring out, okay, i got to find that perfect spot when I can hit left without turning around. And it was, I swear to God, it was one pixel big, that spot. (laughs) I, I know what you mean, Kip, and you know what you know what's even worse than the fact that he was so big in that tunnel was the fact that that was all supposed to be this elaborate trap set up by Scott Shelby. Um, mm. Scott Shelby was a rather large man uh, and yeah. elderly <laughs> and asthmatic. What he would yeah. be doing crawling around through that tiny little hole, you know, and you know, I guess breaking glass in his free time and dumping it into that thing. I, I don't know. My my point is like. I was a little dubious that in the end, like, that Scott had done all that, but then also, God, two turns in the tube would have been enough, but, you know, you go through, like, four or five, you know, turns yeah. in that tunnel, it's like, I get it, I get it, I'm in glass. Yeah. And anyway, you, know, you know what made me the most mad about it is because that part was incredibly, incru- like, that was a cool part. Yeah. Like, 
when I got in that tunnel, I was like, no effing way. <laughs> that, that feeling got completely taken from me because I was like, I can't control this. It's, I'm not even paying attention. All I'm trying to do is just get through it now. Right. You know? Yeah. That feeling was robbed from me in that moment. And it was difficult to regain it through the rest of the trial. I know what you mean. I didn't seem to have as much trouble as everyone else does. I, I had watched my friend do it, um, for, uh, when he got his review build of the game. And he seemed to be, he would, he spent about 10 minutes in that section that I completed in about a minute and a half. I have no idea how I did it. I don't pay attention to actually how I implement controls in that sense. Yeah. I just never really got that problem. But then again, I was, I was inching forward like on like a, um, like a little by the inch just to make, uh, just to, um, because, uh, the, the sequence begins by saying like, I gotta, I gotta be careful and move very slowly. So here I am like going granny <laughs> speed, just going through the whole thing. So maybe that was it. But yeah, that seems to be a really, really bad blemish on the game. But, um, I think, uh, any other, uh, discussion about the controls before we move on? I wanted to, uh, yeah. story here. Well, I think we should talk about the walking mechanic a little bit more because you said we'd come back to that. Yes, that, that I hated whole, I mean, I felt like I was playing Resident Evil 1. Yeah. Or Resident Evil 2 some of the time. Holding yeah. the button and... Oh. Sick burn. Sick burn. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you, man. That, that tank control has just got to go. Yeah. Uh, and and, and generally, not being able to run, like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You ran one time as Ethan. After Sean got kidnapped, you ran. <laughs> yeah. Sean! Sean! <laughs> Yelling that shit over and over again. Uh, <laughs> Jason! Jason! Yeah, Jason! It was really good. When we, yeah, when me and my friends were uh, playing the game, just riffing on it like we usually did, that became a running joke. Like, every time, it, when everyone was on screen and something random ha- would happen, one of us would scream, Jason! <laughs> like, yes. I, like uh, I don't know, when uh, uh, when the dad of the uh, uh, of the creepy guy that uh, claimed to be the origami killed up and, uh, showed up, and before he put you and Lauren in the car, I was like, Jason! Every, like... <laughs> Suspense moment was punctuated by that. But yeah, they, the yeah. terrible, terrible walking controls. Do we have any reason why they were set up that way? Uh, any idea? Can we read the minds of the developers here? Do you think? I, I don't. I mean, I think it was, <laughs> I ever. I think it was a really bad mistake. And I, I mean, I really like this game. Like, I really, really enjoyed this game. But that that portion of it, I was just over and over again throughout the game. I just thought it was so annoying. Yeah, it's absolutely unintuitive too, because like. Um, you know the rest of the stuff, the the do this motion on screen kind of thing came came pretty um, uh, came pretty naturally to my wife who who is a gamer but not like a not a gigantic gamer you know um, but the R two walk com- mechanic she kept forgetting that like why that just made no sense to her you know she was able to do quick times like that but uh, mm-hmm. yeah the walk mechanic no it's I, not intuitive it's not I mean not at all no not at all. Absolutely. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't so bad when you're in a more open space, but the game forces you constantly into these tighter corridor areas where it's just you would be having to reorient. They would uh, hit you know they would always act on a sort of odd um, elliptical axis that's not normal. So it was it yeah. I mean, the game almost seemed to like shove it in your face just how bad this steering mechanic was. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think I think uh, we've I think we've ranted enough about that. Um, the big the big hype thing for this game from day one was investing you emotionally in a story like never before. You know, very flowery Peter Molyneux-esque speak here. So um, let's just give our overall thoughts on the story itself. Um, did it actually affect us 
and then we'll actually go into the differences of how what kind of story we got as we played. So, uh, Randy, what were your overall thoughts on the general story and how it was presented? Um, you know, my overall thoughts felt like it was, even though it was a very um, segmented story, that it was the story of these uh, four separate people uh, trying to come to the trying to figure out who the, the origami killer was, all individually, or at least so you think. I even still thought that it was too separate. I think that the, the characters themselves could have interacted with each other a little bit more, and a little bit more naturally. The, um, the interactions between um, Ethan and Madison, I just didn't, I didn't feel them at all. Um, yeah, same boat there. It was completely odd emotional arc, even, the, even if you selected the exact right... Um, Emotion responses. It just never felt right. No, no. But I mean, overall, yeah, I I enjoyed it. It, it was a, a very engrossing story. Um, but story aside, I, I thought there were there were some moments that pulled me out of the game. I thought some of the bad acting pulled me out of the game a bit. Um, and um, I don't know. Um, just some of the bad acting among. Um, gosh, what is her name? Who was the one that was a uh, uh, toting around? Madison. No, no, no. The other one, the the oh, girl, Lauren? her son Lauren. died. Yeah, yeah, Lauren Winters. Lauren, yeah, mm-hmm. Lauren, Lauren in particular pulled me out of the story many a times. Um, and even that's though that's why you killed her. <laughs> yeah. But the sad thing is, I mean, if you had recall, that uh, the actress's name is Aurelie Branchino, and she was the um, actress in the casting tech demo that was our first look into the um, into the game and how it would work. So unfortunately, I felt there was an obligation to keep her in. It's just I really felt that they, she just really couldn't pull it together, and they should have given her a French role or something. Or they just should have given, yeah, they they should have given her a French role, or they should have given her a role that required some more emotion. But she, you know, her character was an emotionally dead person. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I I I did buy into the story. I think that um, I ca- I cared whether or not the characters died. Um, I didn't want them, anybody to die, you know, and I wanted to keep, I wanted everybody to stay alive and I was rooting for like Ethan to get through these things. And I was thinking like, and I, I and there was moments like when that one moment where you, you get to either shoot the drug dealer or not, like okay. I faced the moral dilemma. I was like, do I want to shoot this guy or not? And I chose not to. And I was thinking that's probably what I would do in real life too, you know? <laughs> and I, you know, a, okay. I felt emotionally invested in it, and I, I can't say that I've come into those kind of moral or ethical dilemmas in any other game, you know? Sure. Maybe maybe infamous a little bit. But Yeah, there was a lot of emotional complexity to this game. I felt, however, that the game really... Um, the first act of this game took a little while to get into because you had that about... Uh, first playthrough, you had those two hours with Ethan and just the build-up to uh, Sean's kidnapping and just those initial things before you got the action scenes going. And then it built up and had an amazing second act. And the reveal and the motive, the you know, the uh, the climax, just really felt like it, it was an absolute um, free fall down to a concrete floor. Uh, the motivations didn't really make sense. Um, basically what you had here was uh, um, Scott Shelby saying, um, oh my God, my brother drowned, I'm going to wait 30 years and become Jigsaw. So, I mean, it, yeah. it didn't seem to make sense. He did all this to find a father that would save his son, um, and really, it's a lot of it, it seems to be in a common pitfall for most mystery um, thriller stories. But here, it, especially since you're so emotionally affected with these characters, it really just kind of felt like a, a, a cold slap to the face after after the second act. 
Well, I, th- I think that's interesting how you interpreted that because I took it, I guess I took it a little bit differently that Scott Shelby, it did kind of make sense why he would do that after 30 years because he had tried some other coping skills first. First, he had tried becoming a cop and he was trying to find that father, you know, and he didn't. And then he quit and he became the private eye and he couldn't find that father still. And so finally, when those two things, like the legal ways of doing it fell apart, that's when he decided to to do the sociopath thing. You know what I didn't like about that, though, Kip? I, I totally get what you're saying, but there was one thing that he did that his father did that was supposedly, like, his father's undoing was they were both drinkers. You know, they show him opening up the drawers in his in his office, and they show, like, bottles of alcohol. Yep. I mean, and if you... Randy and I are on, the, uh, on an opposite pole here because um, Shelby, Scott Shelby's father was an alcoholic, and... Randy seems to be under the belief that if you have a whiskey drawer, you're an alcoholic. I personally don't believe it. For me, Shelby's really the 50s arch, um, archetype of the private eye, and they just they just drank uh, sort of uh, uh, non-committally socially. So I don't. Um, so that's just me. Kip, did you think he was a drunk? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm just, I'm I'm just your place of business don't usually have a whiskey. No. The only and person I can think of is the only place that person I can think of is Eddie Money from uh, who, who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> that's exactly alcohol. right. He's a private eye. That's the, um, but the, but, but that's not is, that's not real life though. Well, this, <laughs> this wasn't exactly real life either. But we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> the thing is, you got to remember though, Randy, is that most. You know, people who are alcoholics generally have alcoholic parents. Right. I mean, that that is true. That is true. Basically, that's where it comes from. And those are those kit those people. They know that their parents are alcoholics generally, and they they see the devastating effects. But that doesn't detour them. Oh, know? it does. Okay. All right. Cool. I'll, I will take that as I will take that as as my lesson for the day. Yeah. Well, and it's 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 because it's biological, and the yeah. effects that the alcohol has on that person are very different from a regular person. Hmm. Hmm. And that's the science behind it because their brain is wired differently. So. And, and and just a heads up though, Gavin, on uh, you know, kind of backtracking a little bit to a point earlier, you probably should not have a bottle of alcohol in your desk at work. You could probably get into a lot of trouble for that. We Did you we notice that his place of work was his apartment. Just uh, um, just you know maybe. Yeah. But, okay, we are. And why didn't he have it by the rest of the alcohol? Why did he have it at, at right like, at his right hand? Right at his desk. Yeah, exactly. Can't can't stop from typing out those scary-ass letters without taking a shot. Well, and I think the moment where it was like, hey, let's go have a drink, like it was supposed to spark that for you when you were in the office. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't want to drink. I'm the alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you okay, were so going... with, with the FBI agent. How with you the trip, like, I don't want to be an addict. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. We're go- we're going very into a tangent. I'll I'll have I'll put a note in here for Mots to do the you know, the more you know theme for Kip's little alcohol <laughs> speech. But um, I think we're I learned something <laughs> alcoholism um, study. But um, let's talk about the characters in detail here. We have four. We have Ethan Mars, the um, Jason. We have <laughs> Scott Shelby, the um, very unconvincing motive killer. We have Madison Page, the insomniac journalist, and also tits. Um, and Norman Jaden, the FBI, with the cool futuristic technology that every single police officer is now looking forward to have in October of next year when this game takes place. And Lauren Winters, the uh, the Tendency prostitute. Number. Yeah, you have Lauren Winters, a prostitute. I mean, you have all these side characters, but let's first talk about the four principles. Did you guys think they're all on equal? Did you not like playing as one? Did you 
Um, did you prefer one to another? Randy, what do you, uh, how are you on the character? I did not like playing as Ethan Mars. I thought he was the, the, honestly, he, he did absolutely everything wrong. He is, he, playing as him was like, um, even though you had the choice to control what he had to do, the, the quote unquote right decisions in those situations were so, um, they felt to me like those moments in the horror movies where they're like, okay, I'm going to go into the scary basement and I have the option to take the shotgun, the flamethrower, or the flashlight. Oh, I'll take the flashlight, you know? <laughs> that's what it, that's what it felt like as playing as Ethan Mars. It's like, okay, why are you going to find the scary shoebox at the, uh, at the train station? Why aren't you handing this over to the police or the FBI who would just love to get their hands all over that, you know? Because there wouldn't be a game, Randy. I, I, I get that. It was just, it just <laughs> broke, it totally broke for me. Madison, I, I kind of liked playing as Madison, um, although well, of course, I... the best tits in the video game. I think Randy and I agree. Best breasts I, ever in a video game. I'm, I'm going to retract that statement from earlier. I do not think that she has the best breasts in video games. I think that has been taken by the women in the saboteur, but that's way off track. Um, so, I, I liked Madison's, Maddie's stuff. I really liked her stuff when she was in uh, Dr. Scary's house. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. Now, talk about our Do you guys kids, know you can actually leave her house? Yeah, she was she was absolutely an archetype. Did you did you actually know you can leave the house without ever going down to that basement? I'm sure I did, but that was also another one of those situations where like Kip, I had to like stare at the screen to make sure I was hitting the right button and I still hit the wrong one anyway. Yeah. And I took a drink from the glass. I was like, "No, I did not mean to do that." And um let's see. Uh Norman Jaden, I I thought he was fine. I actually liked playing as him, but um uh, again, his his accent was throwing me off a little bit. It didn't it didn't feel natural. Mm-hmm. And in fact, considering his his own name is Norman, he he kept saying Norman, and I kept thinking about lolcats every time I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like Norman Jaden. <laughs> and Scott, I think I think Scott Had evidence. <laughs> Had evidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm in your always <laughs> discovering your clues. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and and Scott, I actually I think that the actor and I thought that the controls for the most part, I thought everything that they did with Scott in this game was perfect. Like there is nothing Have you that seen Sam Douglas, the performer that voiced and the... <laughs> yeah, he looks exactly just like him. the fucking same down to the <laughs> poor. It was incredible. Although he has an earring, which makes me which odd. Uh. A small silver hoop earring, which I really wanted to see on Scott Shelby. But Sam Douglas, they captured him perfectly. Yeah, I it thought... It was scary. I thought he was... Yeah, I thought he was... Really but, but, uh, uh, about you? you got character preferences? Um, character dislikes? Anything like that? Kip? Oh, me? Okay, I thought we were still... Sorry, I thought we were still on him. <laughs> uh, no, I, I really I really did like playing as Ethan. Um... You know, you guys keep giving me back to, like, the tutorial section. I didn't really, at first I viewed it as a tutorial section, but then I kind of realized as I was progressing through the game that those are the moments you're really joining with those characters. And, like, if, if I don't have a motivation to sa- save my, like, by cooking my kid dinner and talking to him and me thinking, like, man, he's being a little brat, but I still have to keep doing this, that's exactly how that father feels in that situation. Hmm. Like, my kid's being a little brat. 
but I need to cook him dinner still. But I'm going to go outside and play basketball instead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go upstairs and morbidly watch a video of my other dead son. Oh, oh bye. Well, how about, like, did you guys, like, when he was like, I can't sleep without the bear, like, how long did you spend looking for that teddy bear? Because I kept running over the clock being like, he's got to be in bed soon. <laughs> I actually I found him first time, uh, but, but I had walked around during his, like, dinner time, and I had found the bear on top yeah. of the I was I was the same way. I found the I found the bear by accident earlier, so I knew right where it was. But uh, trying to get a different achievement, I was I was incredibly forceful with the kid. I was like, "You go to bed, no." <laughs> That's not very reasonable, now, is it, Sean? Get upstairs now, or I'll slap you in the ass. No, but um, probably the funniest moment though is when you take up the bear to him, and it's that low angle shot of Ethan, and then he brings the bear from behind his back. It looks like he's going to suffocate Sean with the bear. And every time, it makes me laugh. Even though I spent this hour just, like, going through, okay, it's time to feed him lunch. Okay, I'll juggle for him while he's eating. Okay, no. It's like, it completely ruins it, but it's hilarious. Um, But what about the other... Yeah. Well, okay. Um, With Madison, you know, I liked playing as her... I didn't quite understand her character's motivation, I guess. I can agree with that. Why was she trying to help so much? Like, she was a journalist with insomnia, okay, but, like, I never really understood what, like, okay, she's a journalist. Actually, wasn't she just a fashion photographer, too? No, that was the the, uh, cover she gave to Ethan. Oh, oh, I missed that. Okay, well, anyway, I, I just didn't understand why, like, what was her motivation for helping so much? You know, I'm and like, MacGuffin. No, and it, it seemed like she was okay. I'm an I'm an insomniac, but didn't see, that seem like it was a lie? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when she was first saying that, so I was like, I wonder what the real reason she can't sleep is, and then we never really found out. You know, I was thinking, Although, oh, maybe she had somebody die when she was young, and now she can't sleep, and so she's motivated to help, you know, help Ethan, and therefore help herself. But yeah. I never got anything. It just it was just hung out there. Or know? or was that dream sequence something that she actually had experienced something similarly in her real life, and then therefore she has recurring nightmares? You know. Yeah. What's and, what's going on with that? Yeah, and I and I'm actually I'm pretty okay, generally in movies and stories with ambiguity, but I would have just liked to see that developed in some way, and it, I never felt like it was developed. So and, yeah, um, I also didn't really enjoy like the pointless parts where she was in her underwear. I mean, I like nudity as much as the next guy, but I felt like I was like, okay, she's in her underwear for what purpose? Other oh, you than, you didn't make her take a shower then? Boners. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good enough cause for me. I, yeah, I thought it was a little bit weird, but uh, I don't know. I kind of yeah, the shower scene was a little bit uh, gratuitous. I thought. Yeah, you know, it added nothing to the story, and and I thought all the characters showering was was kind of stupid. Yeah, it was very European. I was hoping John Shelby just, never showered. He never showered. Oh. Actually, I mean, I I understand what the motivation for having her, um, not just the secondary motivation outside of you know um, skin, um, just uh, the reason she was in the shower is you wake up um, showers and nakedness represent vulnerability and certain terms of the style choice to have that and then have the dream sequence with the robbers and everything mm. makes sense on mm. where to start her from because she's vulnerable throughout the entire goddamn game mm. and to and to quantic dreams credit there exists the moment that gave her insomnia but it's not within the self-contained experience i actually reviewed the first piece of uh, proposed dlc for quantic uh, for heavy rain which was heavy rain chronicles the taxidermist well she goes this is, this is spoiler alert tell us why she have it um, because she uh, went in to find 
um, she was investigating the origami killer um, back before she met Ethan, so this would be like uh, probably the original first murders. And she mm. goes into this guy, the suspected guy who's a, who moonlights or at least has a job as an independent taxidermist. And she goes up into his uh, house and discovers that he's also a kidnapper who stuffs his female victims. Oh. So um, yeah. his entire upstairs bedroom is full of human mannequins, where he's literally removed all the organs, put it in the bathtub a couple, a couple rooms away, and has stuffed them in various um, dom- um, domestic poses, like getting out of the shower or cooking dinner. And then he comes home and you have to escape. And, re- and so that, that moment of stress, according to David Cage, is where she gets her insomnia. And unfortunately, within the self-contained experience of the game, that's irrelevant. Hmm. You know, you say that she's like, she's a vulnerable, she's emphasizing vulnerability, but like nothing else about her really emphasized vulnerability. She like fights off people, kills people. She's like <laughs> overpowered, like she uses her sexiness to get, yep. get what she wants. She rides a motorcycle. Yep. You know what I mean? I, don't, I didn't get the impression that she was like a vulnerable character. Yeah. Well, I'm saying that's thematically the tradition. I'm not agreeing with it or disagreeing yeah. with it. I would actually go to your side and said, yeah, the vulnerability thing doesn't really work with her. Thematically, yeah. though, that's like, that's what you would do. Nice. But again, doesn't make sense. But um, for me, probably the most fun character to play, period, is Norman Jaden, and that's strictly for the Ari segment. That is the um, the reality image, whatever. The glasses that gave you the best moments of a CSI episode in one level. Yeah. And just you through. And yeah, it was you know walk to this, just click the evidence, and then it reads something. It's not necessarily the most interactive thing. But it was just so cool looking. It was so <laughs> so techy okay. and pretty. Can and I, really can I just ask a question? What, what the hell is Tripto? I think they, it's, I don't know. <laughs> and like, what is it? Does he sniff this liquid? I didn't understand. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Tryptocaine is a, is a blue powder that he sniffs through the uh, rubber stopper. And that's actually, um, technically the addiction wasn't for Tryptocaine. Um, did you guys thought the, uh, the addiction was for Tryptocaine? Yeah. Yeah. The addiction's for Ari. The glasses. Because every time he has it, uh, he has the, uh, the attack, it's after he has, uh, he had Ari on. The tryptocaine is actually the, uh, the, the, what's the word? The, um, anti-stimulant. It takes him down from Ari. So huh. actually, the addiction, um, the tryptocaine is, pres- is a, pres- it's not, a, it's not a prescription, but it's what you take to come down from it. And uh, at least in Norman Jaden's case. Again, it's supposed to be like a cocaine substance, I, I imagine, with the cane suffix. But really, the addiction was for Ari. That's why the never the non-existent waiter character um, was talking to him and um, appeared precariously in Ari, because that was um, that was his real addiction. Hmm. Wow, I did not get that, but it kind of no, makes I sense now. I didn't get that impression at all either. Uh. Wow. Okay, here's, so here's here's probably why you didn't. How many times have you guys played through it? Once. Once, once and a half, uh, twice, I guess. I played it through six times. Holy mm. shit! So this is where I'm. I'm trying for the all endings achievement or trophy. <laughs> so that's why I'm doing it, and I still haven't done it because it's annoying as hell. But yeah, that's the real addiction, and that's why you have that um, non-existent waiter. The waiter doesn't isn't real at all. That's not a real waiter, of huh. course. Um, but yeah, so that's that. That's again, that's another plot point that's cool. But it's not well implemented. If you had gotten out of the first playthrough, that this game would probably be even cooler, just because of how odd that kind of story mechanic is. But again, um, let's go into the side characters now. Uh, Lord Winters. I didn't get to finish up here, buddy. Yeah, you got to tell us about Norman, Norman, Norman Jaden. Yeah. Um, you know what? You know the thing is about stuff not fitting into the story. 
I didn't feel like the futuristic glasses fit into the story. Like, I didn't understand, like, there was this, like, super, like, the game wasn't full of technology or anything, and I just felt like there was this super advanced piece of technology, and I kind of felt the same way I feel about Assassin's Creed, that they needed to put that in, like, it had to be in the future in order to keep it interesting for gamers. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I felt about it, I guess. Yeah, they really could have brought out all that evidence by, you know, the, the you know, quote-unquote, more traditional methods of him actually using his eyes and looking at the body instead of needing to pop <laughs> on some glasses and stuff, you know? I could agree with that, Kip. Yeah, I just, I, I felt like it was very, it was just over the top a little bit at some points of, like, the 3D world. And, and then what was with that alternative ending thing where all of a sudden he's back alive inside the machine? <laughs> okay, that's, we'll go into the endings in a second, but, yeah, that was a, that was a pretty fun, uh, pretty fun ending. That's probably my favorite. But I think the reason it feels so out of place is that every uh, every uh, all the other characters use technology out of the 50s. Like, yeah. there is no one that has, like, a really nice computer. Even uh, the police station looks, like, directly out of the 70s. If you had that buffer where people were actually using the most advanced technology for when the game was being produced in early, you know, for, even in 2008, you had advanced laptops or um, be- uh, the beginnings of holographic technology, which, uh, you know, just go to the cutting edge of that time. It would have made a bit more sense. As it exi- as it is, technological glasses, even if they weren't this advanced, would still look out of place against characters that were using typewriters. Yeah, hmm. and and also the fact that like it was the entire hollow deck from Star Trek in glasses. You know, That's so, <laughs> it, was it was so pretty. Yeah. Okay, and then finally, um, with with Scott Shelby, um. Uh, the only part I felt I, I liked playing him is him, and I thought it was cool, and I really liked the asthma piece, because I was like, this is a big man. He should not be, like, running around fighting people without being tired. <laughs> <laughs> I felt for him on that. Um, but also, the only part I didn't really I didn't really like or thought could do without is when he's going through that mansion, and he's just like... Oh, gunning people down and shit? Yeah, gunning people down to the point of absurdity. You know what I mean? Where he kills, like, 40 people in, like, 10 minutes. And never reloading. Never reloads. (laughs) Like, and when you consider that he was the origami killer, that really doesn't fit. Like, it's just awkward. Like, he's like, I don't know. It was just like, why would he need to kill out of revenge when killing is not a big deal for him? You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Badass for badassery's sake. Uh, And that's what I mean. And, like, I wish wish the game wouldn't have had these, like, gamer moments that were, like, badassery or tits or futuristic glasses for the sake of futuristic glasses. You know what I mean? Can we keep the tits, though? That the game got in the way of the, of the story. <laughs> the actual game aspects got in the way of Heavy Rain at the end. Yeah, and I mean, what does that say about the game? You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, um, so, are you done now, Kip? Can we move yeah. <laughs> now that I've had my appropriate amount of time. I... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's open up to the um, the side characters, because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here. I mean, we have, the, uh, we have Hassan... The store, uh, the store owner. We have, of course, the kids, the most, the most poorly mo-capped people in the game. We have. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> we have Ethan's wife. We have. Um, she was sweet. I'm sorry, I'm waiting my turn. And she was sweet looking. Mm, would have mind a uh, Madison shower scene with her. Jeez. But um, we, we have, let's see, um, we have the the creepy uh, son of the uh, of the construction store owner, and then we have the construction owner himself. We have the creepy black guy that works in the graveyard. We have Mad Jack. And, last, um, and lastly, of course, we have Lauren Winters, among others. So, I mean... What about, did, we say the, did we say the rich guy? 
<laughs> the rich guy, yes. The rich yeah. guy. The rich guy and his son. Yeah. Okay. What was so, thinking as a general ensemble supporting cast, uh, Randy, what did you what did you come away with with all these uh, characters? They needed more. <laughs> they needed more uh, to kind of uh, have people suspect more and better people. You know, because I I I walked away with a totally different uh, uh, theory in the end. I I actually had thought that Ethan was doing it, but not on purpose. Or at least he totally believed that he was doing it because um, he was made to believe it. I, I actually thought that he was taking a prescription, you know, drug or something, or something that was supposed to be a prescription drug from his therapist, and I thought his therapist was actually the um, was the killer. That would have that would have been more fun to me. Um, I know it was that's actually a really fun theory. I, I, you told I'll, me that I'm like that's, that's awesome. How, I mean, I know you guys aren't going to be as dorktastic about this as I am, but that therapy was so cool with that brain thing. That was really know, neat, wasn't yeah. it? The MRI, like, in a, like the, the MRI in one tube kind of thing that went around your head? Rorschach and looking yeah. at his brain. Dude, so therapists cool. would kill for that technology, and it's, it's actually starting to come about. It's called biofeedback, and they're starting to do it. So, little piece of information that that is coming true, not to that extent, obviously, where you're going to get a brain scan on screen, but where people can test heart rates and stuff during therapy. Yeah. So, nice. There, there was just something about that therapist that I didn't like. He didn't, he didn't, um, I don't know. Another poorly accented character. Yeah, poorly accented character, but I think it's it was, it. I, I know this is, this is really weird, um, but honestly, he just looked like one of those people in life that you knew you wouldn't get along with. <laughs> he rubbed you the wrong way. It really did. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's no yeah. real logical reason. Um, but I, I was like, oh yeah. As soon as I saw that guy, I was like, oh yeah, he's the origami killer. That's him. <laughs> He did it. Randy, so that's it major problem probably people. reminded you somebody from your childhood. <laughs> he actually looked—he looked a lot like one of my sister's ex-boyfriends. But um, <laughs> as far as as far as other supporting cast members, uh, I thought I thought they were okay-ish. But again, I I really did want them to have more more good side characters for for me to cast suspicions on. I, I really wish they would have like I don't know paid more played more of like a a roulette with with. Um, your thoughts. I wish they had guided your thoughts a little bit better as to who you would have thought was the killer. Mm-hmm. There's actually, yeah, there's been a lot of complaint that says a game that's supposed to be replayed so much, the identity of the killer should change. It should never be the same character. Which I, I could, kind of I could agree with that. I think there should be a version. I should, I thought there should have been a version that when you played through it, that Ethan actually was the guy who did it, or that, um, you know, it actually was that um, the rich guy's son. There is one version of the ending or whatever where you are led to believe that Ethan was the killer. Is yeah. that the, is that the one that you got? No, I didn't get that one. But I, I went. I was looking. I I started playing through it again, and then I realized I don't want to play through fifteen times to see that ending. <laughs> so I started just YouTubing them. Right. And there's there's an ending where Ethan he doesn't save his son and he goes to jail twice. And then you he, have to get arrested both times in the game. Yeah. And then he hangs himself in jail because he assumes, like, oh, I'm the killer. And so and from the killed. player's perspective, you would still think that, oh, he was the killer. So in that ending, he was the killer. Although technically anyone with a brain never suspected Ethan for a second. It just seems so throwaway, the way the story presented it. Like, I wake up in the rain and there's a dog in my hand. Max, Max, Max. Um, the I mean, other. honestly, I think that would have been a better ending than the than the Shelby ending. I agree. <laughs> I agree too. 
So I mean, there's a lot of ways it could have gone, and I agree with Randy. If they had just fleshed out the supporting cast, maybe giving us a couple more suspicious characters, it would have seemed like a much less um, led by the nose experience, as it were. Even though technically you were being led by the nose more. Yeah. Yeah, Um, you know, for all we're faulting it and stuff, I I still beat it in one day. You know what I mean? I still played it for. And you couldn't stop. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't stop. Like, really? I, I was very emotionally invested, and I wanted to see what was going to happen. I really wanted to figure out who the killer was going to be. Yeah, so, I'd be, I mean, I beat the game within two days of having it. Wow. So, okay. I, I did my best to stretch it out because I knew that I, I actually had to force myself to put it down. And actually, uh, especially after Dr. Creepy, I definitely <laughs> had to put the controller down for a while before I went back. Like, that's just too awesome. That's, I can't continue. That was just too good. That just scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And again, yeah, a lot of stereotype with it, but I think the the good thing about all these stereotypes is that they're movie stereotypes, they're TV stereotypes, but they're not video game stereotypes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if anything, Quantic Dreams just making you know giving us more stereotypes, new stereotypes, mm-hmm. which is nice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thoughts on the general supporting cast at all, aside from Lord Winters having a terrible accent? Um, I mean, I don't think we can remember his name, but like the rich guy and his son, I liked yeah, their yeah. characters. I liked the dad who was kind of like drunk with power to the point where he was like, I, my son is allowed to do whatever he wants and I'll still feel bad for him, you know? <laughs> like, I, I, I like that because it, it kind of paralleled what Ethan was going through, you know? And, and in essence, what Shelby was thinking. And about what Shelby was thinking. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I also really liked, like, the pimp character <laughs> or whatever. Paco. Paco? Yeah, Paco. I like Paco is I great. Like him. I'm all fucked like up, babe. I love yeah. him. Which way? Which one was Paco again? The owner was, of the Blue Lagoon Club. He was the one who wanted you to strip. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Hilarious. I love that guy. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I thought that was just like a cool, like little addition, and it shook up the world a little bit and brought some color in. You know. Yeah. So I, I liked that. Um, you know, you guys, I didn't feel as bad about Lauren as as you guys did. Um, I I knew that her dialogue was bad from time to time. But I was really happy to see, like, a character who, oh, like, I already lost my son. And so it was cool to have that parallel from, like, Ethan, you know? Mm-hmm. That she had kind of given up on life after her son was gone and that she, you know what I mean, she was just, fuck it, I'll be a prostitute now, you know, just giving up. Well, she was a prostitute when her kid was alive. She um, yeah. Oh, okay. But, I mean, she wasn't trying to get out or anything anymore. You know, yeah. she had been working toward getting out for her son. Right. And she wasn't anymore. Um, one character, a side character I hate hated was that baby. Oh, I did not like rocking that Emily? baby. Emily? Oh, I, I had no problems with that baby. <laughs> okay, that's the most creepiest baby I've ever seen. I was yeah, like, oh, like, rock dude. that baby for the life of me. I kept <laughs> up that freaking sequence. And uh, the mom, that cool that mom, though, who slit her wrists, that was kind of cool. I thought uh, that, that was very realistic and yeah, real well done. And that was cool. Um, oh shoot, I Kip, I was gonna, I was gonna add on to a point that you had made earlier, but now I can't remember, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I do remember now. Lauren Winters, I, at the end of the game, you know, depending on how you play it out, I feel terrible for her. Like, way worse than I feel for, like, Ethan for having lost his finger and, you know, and going through all that crap. I mean, she loses her son and then actually, like, lives this life of almost rebuilding her life again with the guy who actually, you know, uh, kidnapped her son and, most likely ended up killing her husband or boyfriend or whoever. Um, 
yeah, I feel way worse for her than any of the other characters, even yeah. though I thought she was a poor actress. Yeah, I also I also did like the shop owner, the guy who owned the typewriter shop. Uh-huh. Oh was. yes, Manfred. Manfred. Was Manfred. Like, I liked him too. He was cool for the like little bit he was in. He played like a quirky old man kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, There's a lot of good supporting guy. I like Hassan being the non-stereotypical Middle Eastern owner, Middle Eastern shop owner. He wasn't, you know, he he was the first um, store, convenience store owner not to be up who for his race, which was pretty cool. But he was still a convenience store. <laughs> yeah, I was to say he's still a convenience store owner, man. That how yeah, that's but, I mean, stereotype. Yeah, it was still a, you had, still have that stereotype, but he didn't run with the he didn't run with the race. He just ran with the uh, serendipity. I mean, yeah, I mean, still he still owns the shop, but he's not going. Thank you, come again. Oh, he you mean like they didn't they didn't ham it up like like Apu or something like that? Yeah, you didn't ham up the. Yeah. You know, when you uh, all these um, races, you um, you can tell when they're hammed up to stereotype. And Hassan, while still being in a sort of stereotypical line of work, he was still one of the most emotionally charged um, side characters, or even overall characters in the game for me. I still wish that he. I, I'm with. Well, I don't know if Kippy, if you feel this way, but I still thought it was a little weird that they they portrayed a Middle Eastern guy as owning a, you know. The shot. Yeah, and the fact that he got robbed, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could have been anything else. It could have been, like, uh, I don't know, have him run a... Um, Accountant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or have a him physicist. run... Have him run the... Have him run the, uh, the, the what you call it, shop. The, the, the typewriter shop. shop. Have those two roles reversed, you know? Have the quirky old man run the convenience store. I would have probably not had the guy shot him then. <laughs> I um, First time through, I had uh, Hassan get shot. No way! For the perfect crime trophy, yeah, you have to. Oh, uh, trophy, yeah. How, okay, trophy. how racist? How racist is that? <laughs> <laughs> There's a trophy. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a stereotype trophy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a multi-part trophy. You have to um, basically you, uh, the perfect crime is you have to have everyone that has evidence of you die, or um, so you have to let Lauren die and all that stuff. Then you have to just um, maintain an air of secrecy. So you have to you have to like wipe you have to wipe all your fingerprints you have to have everybody die and then there was something else as well wasn't there? Uh, you have to fail with uh, uh, Norman Jaden or Madison Page at the end whoever is getting chased or chasing uh, um, Shelby. Ah. Maybe we can talk about too is the the plot holes the fact Thank that like just, we just obviously just didn't kill Manfred. Thank you. Like, uh, but yet you did somehow. But you obviously didn't. Like, they should have had you be playing as Lauren in that scene. Thank Gosh. you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That was the main point Randy and I were talking about. Or if we had the different origami <laughs> killer, have the killer's agent show up. I mean, yeah, I mean, and emotionally it didn't make sense. When you flash back to it, he kills Manfred, walks backwards, and then enters and have the, has this completely, supposedly fake emotional reaction with Lauren not even in the room. What was the point of yeah. the fake emotional reaction then? Except to... Yeah. Screw with the gamer, yeah. major role. And I, and like also the, the 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 fact that the explanation of why Ethan wakes up with the thing in his hand never, like, never. is never explained, and that's that's a big plot hole. I don't understand. Yeah. So what what did Shelby do? Get him drunk and then be like, okay, <laughs> you stand here and wait till I get back. Uh, hold this too. I'll be right back. You know. Personally, yeah. I just like the idea of Scott Shelby waiting in the bushes for him to black out. Because the blackouts makes um, emotional sense. I mean, I let that go. I mean, that's dramatic license. He, you know, he survived a car wreck. His son's dead, and now he has schizophrenia. Makes. Yeah, I'll let it go. Um, I'm going to give that to. I'm going to give that to the story. I'm going to give that to everything. But the dog in the hand never makes sense, especially since it's such a relevant dog. Since that's what Scott always made. Uh, that's what the, yeah. you have to make to get Scott's mom to remember. Right. Who I also think was a really good supporting character. 
just nice. because I'm, old women creep me out. But again, major plot hole. Uh, what, yeah. uh, like Mandy said earlier, the uh, how is this overweight forty-year-old asthmatic spreading glass in these furnace tunnels? Or indeed, how is he? You know, um, how did he maneuver through the electrical thing to put the damn thing there? I mean, the trials don't make sense. And I think um, another good theory that me and a friend came up with is that he forces someone else to do it for him. It'd be really cool if he forced Sean to do it before he put him in the damn uh, before the da- uh, before he put him in the down the damn pit. Or if he yeah. or if he forced the other fathers to do it. You know, like Lauren's, like Lauren, like Lauren's, Lauren's husband. You know, to do it before they were killed off, so to speak. Like part yeah. of their trials was to set up the trials, but that's that's like fan fiction shit right there. Yeah. yeah but yeah, the, the reason we're theorizing it because they didn't do a good job with the original theory. That's, yeah. That's... <laughs> well, I mean, maybe part of it is they're leaving it open for a sequel or something. I don't know, but um, well, technically, David Cage has come out since and said no sequels, so that's kind uh. of but. Oh. There's a lot of just basic storytelling issues. A lot of people had problems with uh, all these uh, people holding evidence of their children's murders. I let that go. That's dramatic license. I mean, that makes sense that he would go around and collect this, even if it doesn't make exact sense that after their kids die, they would keep this very crucial piece of evidence with them, like Randy mentioned, mentioned for Ethan. All these people were holding like, oh, there was a phone that he left the day before he left and never came back. I'm sure it's not relevant, but here you go. Yeah. Oh, I have I have this uh, envelope that's just coded in saliva from the killer, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to hang on to it. Screw DNA evidence. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uh, I think a lot of it, though, you're, you're willing to forgive all these, um, not necessarily glaring, but definitely apparent plot holes just for the, your emotional investment. I think that's actually almost comes through as a strength of the game. It's like, mm-hmm. we invest you so much even though we're bad, sometimes you let it slide. Yeah, and I, you know the thing is, is like when I compare it though to other video game stories, I still think it's a better story than most video games come up with. So I could agree with that, and I think it's also one of the more adult storylines that that's come out in a long time as well. And and I think we can all appreciate that. And I think mainly, I think this game is going to be remembered in essence down the road as the first step. So I yeah. think this is, yeah, I think this is just going to be, I, I'm looking forward to um, a game that, you know, can, you know, patch up, uh, patch up the potholes, give us maybe, you know, the multiple killer scenario. And I, I look forward to three years down the line. I look yeah. forward to the next generation of these. But for first time, and since this is the only game that's doing what it's doing, it's doing it very well. Well, and it I also just so think the idea, I also think just the idea of the origami killer was a really cool idea. Like, this guy who's trying to, like, you know, put fathers through this thing, and he uses the origami, and I thought that was cool. Like, I thought that was a cool idea, and I like, you know, I, just, I dug it. So, you guys did. Right, well, I, no, I did. I dug it. I thought it was cool. I really did. I'm, I still haven't, uh, I still haven't finished playing through it with my wife yet. She keeps asking me if it's Ethan, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, huh? I can't huh? tell you. <laughs> um, but here's, here's something that the people listening probably have asked of themselves already. Why am I the only one that's played it through one, more than once? What's your um, since this game was so hyped for its replay value? Uh, why have you guys only played it through once? Is it like is it a difficulty to go through that entire scene again just to get that other option? I mean, what's why do you why haven't you picked it up again? Hmm. Uh, you want to go, Kip? I'm, I probably know the answer to yours. Well, I feel like you're vic- Randy. I feel like you're doing what I would be doing if Rachel was here, and you're <laughs> vicariously playing it through again. Yeah. You know, and that's how I would probably be going about it too. I'm like thinking, I do want to see somebody else play this game. I just don't want to go through it again. 
Right. So, uh, I also I rented it from Blockbuster, so uh, they they demanded that I give it back to them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my my guess would have been just pure time constraints for you, but uh, yeah. Um, uh, you know another another one of the bigger reasons why I don't want to replay it is because um, you know I thought there were parts of it that I I don't know I didn't feel like were necessary to. Uh, get the same emotional reaction. Like I, I would, if I were to replay it, I would want to replay certain parts of it just to kind of experiment and see what happens with the story and with the character and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, the one time I tried to do it, I think uh, I think I, I just tried to replay the the opening sequence or something like that. Yeah, that's what that's what it was. I tried to replay the opening sequence to um, to get some trophy, and uh, I also wanted to to see what the architecture thing would look like when he draw it out and stuff like that. And when I went through all of that, I actually did not get the trophy, even though I had done it perfectly. And I thought, yeah, well, with the first two trophies loading, it took me three times to get the damn um, interactive drama, happy birthday, and good father achievements. Yeah, and so honestly, it was something. There was something about that, like I was going through it expecting to get that trophy at the end, even though I'm not typically a trophy hunter. When I didn't get the trophy, I was like, meh, I'm really not. I guess I'm not that curious anymore. Yeah. Oh. Okay, well that ma- that makes sense. But um, everyone that actually purchased the game instead of renting it from Blockbuster, it's a good idea though. Randy and Kit put forth a good idea. Have Heavy Rain parties vicariously experience it through someone else. Just make sure they don't do the same things you did. So like say, no, I already did that. Do this. So, <laughs> but um, why don't you say um, we round it out and be original, like we love to be at Elder Geek, and actually talk about something in this game that not mu- um, pretty much no one else has talked about in reviews or in discussion shows, which is this game's presentation and by that i don't mean it's graphics everyone agrees that motion capture is good lip sync for the most part is excellent um what i want to talk about is if we take this as a film and examine the lighting and set design this is an incredible achievement i mean uh if we go back to the the therapist or um the therapist office um i wasn't necessarily drawn in by the brain imaging software i was drawn in just by the way the office was set up with those giant um windows retracting bla- uh, with attracting blinds and that giant stone ego um, it, it, it just random thing that's there that has no explanation. It's just these are really well designed rooms and just mm-hmm. at worst felt lived in at at best seemed really cool. What did you guys think about the design of the game in that respect? Mm. Um, I, I okay, I can't totally eliminate that it was a game because there was at some points I noticed some things almost looked like PlayStation Two esque. Ooh, <laughs> you know, like the cars. Like, sometimes when those cars were driving around and stuff, I was like, this looks really bad. Versus, like, when I look at the characters, and they're, like, extremely detailed and good and well-designed and put together well and depth and pores and all this stuff. And then I see this, like, blocky, golden-eye-esque car kind of swing around the corner. I was like, um, that doesn't seem to fit quite well. So there was times where I thought, like, the graphics could have used a little bit more polish. But, um... Yeah, I mean, there were there were cool things, but there was, like, those contrasts I mentioned earlier. Like, there was these futuristic elements that contradicted with these, like, 1950s typewriter elements, Yeah, Which, to me, and was so the I... dead giveaway that Scott Shelby's the killer. If you recall, like, in, in the game, it's like, whoever typed this letter and kidnapped your son, uh, typed, it on, uh, typed it on this kind of typewriter. And in the next shot, it's a dominant low angle with um, his typewriter. Huh. Uh, in like the in like the dominant por- uh, part of the right hand side of the screen, I'm like, duh. How huh. can you believe? How can you be more obvious? But I, I, 
I didn't pick yeah, up. I didn't. I didn't take it like that. I guess I just took it that like, yeah, he has a typewriter too. Like I, I thought it was it was too obvious, and they were just trying to make a statement, you know. Yeah, I thought so, him I having know. the typewriter was more of a statement that he was like poor because he kept <laughs> all of his, you know, he kept all of his files the old-fashioned way. He lived in a very small apartment, you know. I just thought he was and, just not a good, you know, private eye. Yeah, and that's and that's why and well and also there was a big contrast going on that he was doing this traditional way of investigating versus the FBI agent was doing this like futuristic way. So I thought the typewriter was like, oh, he's more likely to think about typewriters because that's what he uses. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, that's so, exactly how I thought of it. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, as far as as far as like set stuff goes, as far as uh, the the presentation of the game goes, and I know this sounds really weird, but um. I'm pretty picky when it comes to um, use of color in games, um, which is why it kind of bugs me when I play games like, you know, Gears of War that are all very brown, and, uh, you know, that's just kind of the, the traditional one that, that people kind of toss out. But even still, I thought this game was a little too monochromatic, um, except for in the intro scene. Like, the intro scene where everything is all right and everything is okay with the world. Yes, it's very bright and colorful and everything like that. But there, there's a lot that can be said about characters and about about setting and about um, emotions that uh, people should be feeling based on what colors are are present in certain scenes. I don't think they really kind of took that into um, account when they were doing a lot of this. I just kind of thought that they were like, okay, we're going to make everything gritty because it's raining. Actually, yeah. I really thought that that was the problem with the conflicting cinematic references for the game. This is a very David Fincher-esque story. I mean, it takes place in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It, um, on the east coast it's very it's gray, gray and rainy because that's where seven and that's what panic room it's it's the same kind of palette they use but uh, again like you it's like the opening is very like bright it's like shit's gonna happen to this guy he's uh, <laughs> something's gonna go wrong but i actually I, I disagree i think they use um i think uh, for the most part yeah it's a bit gray and muted but i think it, it actually worked to emphasize the later portions of uh really big big color like the blue lagoon was very blue obviously and later, the final room um, with with the poison. How Kubrick esque was that? The very long red red hallway leading into this extremely um, almost um, just incredibly white um, room. Just just the use of color. I felt yeah, it, it could have been used more, but I think the emphasis really worked. I mean the 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 contrast, if you were. I, I get what you're saying, especially with that final room. I thought that was good, but I'm trying to think of a of another movie that had the same kind of down feeling to it, but uh, really uh, had a great use of color to emphasize, you know, uh, uh, feeling and emotion and stuff like that, was uh, was What Dreams May Come. Um, it was with Robin Williams. Have you guys ever seen that one? Mm-hmm. That movie, if, if you pay attention to that movie, color plays just as much of a role in that film as any character does. And <laughs> I think they could have done something like that with Heavy Rain. Yeah, and you know, you said it was very, like, David Lynch. like uh, no, David, David Fincher. Very different director. Oh, I thought you said Lynch. Okay, I was going to say, because Lynch, I feel like, ter- uses color terribly, man. He just, like, beats you <laughs> head. Yes, he does. Like, yeah, so I get David, it. Like, <laughs> uh, David Fincher, director of Seven and... Um, and I thought you said David Lynch, so... Oh, and, and Fight Club later. Yeah. But, okay. yeah. Um, you got, did you know, did you guys find out that it was taking place in Philly, Philadelphia? No. No one seemed to know that, but it's like, if you zoom in... Well, if you analyze I, the receipts in Ari, it says Philadelphia on the receipt for the gas station that you get from the Blue Lagoon. Huh. Uh, 
That doesn't necessarily make sense. It, it should have taken place in Seattle, a place where it rains consistently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they said it was only seasonal, so I guess it makes sense. But, oh, yeah. That's a lot of rain for Philly. <laughs> I don't live too. I don't live too far from there. We don't get that much rain in in the season. Well, well, you're not. You don't have people killing in the flood season. Do you? What's that? You don't have people precariously killing little boys in such strange fashions, do you? Uh, no, well, not that I'm aware of, but no, I don't. I don't believe so. <laughs> Maybe they're really good at it. Uh, yeah, I felt like it was just supposed to be a stereotypical U.S. city. Yeah, like, I, I didn't get the impression necessarily that it was this city or that city, and that that made a significant difference for me. I guess. Yeah, I, so. I, speaking of cities, and I know this this is not specific to the city or anything like that, but um, is Ethan an absolute idiot? His his third his second to last clue practically spelled out Roosevelt. I mean, he yeah. clearly should have never ever ever gone on Wheel of Fortune. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you look if you look at the GPS at the end, it's like there's a Roosevelt ro- Road, there's a Roosevelt Way. I mean, so but still, if he counted out the letters instead of chopping off his finger or you know <laughs> drinking poison. <laughs> Although, hey, that, and that's a that's a good point. Everyone that even hates the game loves the litter, lizard sequence where you cut off your finger. Everyone seems to love that at the very least. What? So, uh, yeah. All right, all right. What, what what instrument did you use to chop off your fingers, gentlemen? <laughs> good way to end it. What what way did you? Um, I used I did it six ways. So you guys could go, and I'll round out with what I did. Okay. Kip, what did you what did you chop? Uh, your I used off? the scissors. Oh my god! Are you serious? Yeah, I thought that'd be the quickest. Oh. <laughs> No, so- I, I use the scissors just because I don't know. I, I was just thinking to myself, like, now well, the butcher knife's the obvious choice, but I'm gonna go with the scissors. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's just. Andy, what'd you use? I think I used like the there was a hatchet I found. I used like the little hatchet. That's what I used because I figured it, it had at least some weight to it. You could probably get it done in one quick blow, unlike the scissors. Does he like when he does it with the scissors? Like I'm I'm dying to know, does he have to do like multiple snips or is it one shot and that's done? No, he like carves around it a little bit. Oh. He cuts it once, then he kind of turns the scissors another angle. It's it's bad, man. That's oh. not, not the thing to use. Oh. Okay, if you guys want this you get. How many drinks do you take? I took 3 drinks. <laughs> I don't remember. I think just the one, actually. Well, you get dizzy. Yeah, you get dizzy if you take more than a two, and then it gets harder to do it, you know? <laughs> you can drink something? What? What? You, wait, you, there's a drink? Yeah, there's, there's a flask there you can use. Ah, I didn't even know that. I played it through six times. Okay, this is probably the one of the funnest, uh, fu- uh, most fun uh, chapters to replay. So if you guys are listening, there is... If you're not, even if you're not a trophy hunter, this is the most fun one to do in the game. It's called, um, I don't think it's the butcher. It's called Goldfinger. And what you have to do, there's antiseptic in the uh, in the kit in the bathroom. You pick up the antiseptic, you pick up the saw, and you doubt, and then you pick up the metal rod that's in the room, and you go into the kitchen, turn on the stove, and heat up the metal rod. You yeah. put it all on the table, you douse your finger in antiseptic, and you take the saw, and it takes about four times to actually cut off the finger. And so you're doing that. You're rolling around on the floor. He's screaming like a little bitch. And even after it says, you know, it's beneath the table, you have to go up, take the hot metal rod, and then cauterize the wound. Yeah, that's what I did. I did that. Get out of here. I cauterized the wound. Hell yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) But yeah, best way to do it. And I think that's the perfect way for us to just put the kibosh on this little discussion. Any final thoughts on here um, before we uh, head out for this episode, Randy? Um... 
No, not not really. I, I, I really did like the game. I like what it, it's doing for, you know, the game audience. I know people, there's this whole uh, thing where people are trying to sway away from the hardcore game, but I think this is a very hardcore game, and I'm, I'm glad for it. I think it's also one of those games that um, every gamer should kind of have, not that they should have, but they can be proud to say that video games aren't just, you know, um, shoot 'em up guns and violence and tits all the time. Even though there's guns and tits in this, it's just right, not exactly as exactly what I was thinking. Like, I've already been telling people about this game, and just just to kind of like like change the stigma around video games. Like, I've been telling people like, oh yeah, I played this game Heavy Rain. You do all this stuff. It's like this very interactive story. All this, and I think it's really good for gaming. Yeah. So. All right, good way to end it. I mean, this was Elder Geek's most anticipated game of the year for this reason, and I think even if it may not hit our highest hopes, it was definitely a worthwhile experience to make, play, and own. So this has been the third episode of Spoiler Alert. I have been Mott's um, rep- uh, replacement host for this episode, Gavin, and on the show this um, this bi-week or whatever has been uh, Randy Asenshock and Kip Petra Antonio for the site. All right, and we'll- Jason! Jason! Yes, indeed. We'll catch you guys next time. Jason!